Chapter 42 of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beth Blakely, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter 42. Elizabeth arrived at the moment of the first painful crisis of Faulkner's fate. The assizes came on. Busy faces crowded into his cell, and various consultations took place as to the method of his defense, and here began a series of cares, mortifications, and worse anxieties, which brought home to the hearts of the sufferers the horrors of their position. The details of crime and its punishment are so alien to the individuals placed in the upper classes of society that they read them as tales of another and a distant land, and it is like being cast away on a strange and barbarous country to find such become a part of our own lives the list of criminals the quality of their offences the position falkner held among them were all discussed by the men of law and falkner listened impassive in seeming apathy his eagle eye bent on vacancy his noble brow showing no trace of the rush of agonizing thought that flowed through his brain it was not till he saw his child's earnest searching eyes bent on him that he smiled so to soften the keenness of her lively sympathy she listened too her cheek alternately flushed and pale and her eyes brimming over with tears as she drew nearer to her unfortunate friend's side as if her innocence and love might stand between him and the worst the decision of the grand jury was the first point to be considered there existed no doubt but that that would go against the accused the lawyers averred this but still elizabeth hoped men could not be so blind or some unforeseen enlightenment might dawn on their understandings the witnesses against him were sir boyville and his son the latter she knew well abhorred the course pursued and if some touch could reach sir boyville's heart and show him the unworthiness and falsehood of his proceedings through the mode in which their evidence might be given all would alter the scales would drop from men's eyes the fetters from falkner's limbs and this strange and horrible entanglement be dissipated like morning mist she brooded forever on these thoughts sometimes she pondered on writing to neville sometimes on seeing his father but his assertion was recollected that nothing now could alter the course of events and that drove her back upon despair for ever thinking on these things and hearing them discussed it was yet a severe blow to both when in the technical language of the craft it was announced that a true bill was found against rupert falkner such is the nature of the mind that hitherto Faulkner had never looked on the coming time in its true proportions or colors. The decision of the preliminary jury, which might be in his favor, had stood as a screen between him and the future. Knowing himself to be innocent, abhorring the very image of the crime of which he was accused, how could twelve impartial, educated men agree that any construction put upon his actions should cast the accusation on him? The lawyers had told him that so it would be, he had read the fearful expectation in Elizabeth's eyes. But it could not. Justice was not a mere word. Innocence bore a stamp not to be mistaken. The vulgar and senseless malice of Sir Boyville would be scouted and reprobated. Such was his intimate conviction, though he had never expressed it. But this was all changed now. The tale of horror was admitted, registered as a probability, and had become a rule for future acts. The ignominy of a public trial would assuredly be his, and going, as is usual, from one extreme to the other, the belief entered his soul that he should be found guilty and die the death. A dark veil fell over life and nature, 
oft-times he felt glad even to escape thus from a hideous system of wrong and suffering but the innate pride of the heart rebelled and his soul struggled as in the toils elizabeth heard the decision with even more dismay her head swam and she grew sick at heart would his trial come on in a few days would all soon so soon be decided was the very moment near at hand to make or mar existence and turn this earth from a scene of hope into a very hell of torture and despair for such to her it must be if the worst befell falkner the worst i-oh what a worst how hideous squalid unredeemed there was madness in the thought and she hurried to his cell to see him and hear him speak so to dissipate the horror of her thoughts her presence of mind her equanimity all deserted her she looked bewildered her heart beat as if it would burst her bosom her face grew ashy pale her limbs unstrung of every strength and her efforts to conceal her weakness from falkner's eyes but served the more to confuse she found him seated near his window looking on so much of the autumnal sky as could be perceived through the bars of the high narrow opening the clouds traversed the slender portion of heaven thus visible they fled fast to other lands and the spirit of liberty rode upon their outstretched wings away they flew far from him and he had no power to reach their bourne nor to leave the dingy walls that held him in o nature while we possess thee thy change is ever lovely thy vernal airs are majestic storms thy vast creations spread at our feet above around us how can we call ourselves unhappy there is brotherhood in the growing opening flowers love in the soft winds repose in the verdant expanse and a quick spirit of happy life throughout with which our souls hold glad communion but the poor prisoner was barred out from these how cumbrous the body felt how alien to the inner spirit of a man the fleshy bars that allowed it to become the slave of his fellows the stunning effects of the first blow had passed away and there was in falkner's face that lofty expression that resembled coldness though it was the triumph over sensibility something of disdain curled his lip and his whole air denoted the acquisition of a power superior to fate trembling elizabeth entered never before had she lost self-command even now she paused at the threshold to resume it but in vain she saw him she flew to his arms she dissolved in tears and became all woman in her tender fears he was touched he would have soothed her a choking sensation arose in his throat i never felt a prisoner till now he cried can you still cling to one struck with infamy dearer more beloved than ever she murmured surely there is no tie so close and strong as misery dear generous girl said falkner how i hate myself for making such large demand on your sympathy let me suffer alone this is not the place for you elizabeth your free step should be on the mountain side these silken tresses the playthings of the unconfined winds while i thought that i should be speedily liberated i was willing to enjoy the comfort of your society but now i the murderer am not a fit mate for you i am accursed and pull disaster down on all near me i was born to destroy the young and beautiful with such talk they tried to baffle this fierce visitation of adversity falkner told her that on that day it would be decided whether the trial should take place at once or time be given to send for osborne from america the turn neville had given to his evidence had been so favourable to the accused as to shake the prejudice against him and it was believed that the judges would at once admit the necessity of waiting for so material a witness and yet their first and dearest hope had been destroyed so they feared to give way to a new one as they conversed the solicitor entered with good tidings the trial was put off till the ensuing assizes in march to give time for the arrival of osborne 
the hard dealing of destiny and man relented a little and despair receded from their hearts leaving space to breathe to pray to hope no time was to be lost in sending for osborne would he come it could not be doubted a free pardon was to be extended to him and he would save a fellow-creature and his former benefactor without any risk of injury to himself the day closed therefore more cheeringly than it had begun falkner conquered himself even to a show of cheerfulness and recalled the colour to his tremulous companion's cheeks and half a smile to her lips by his encouragement he turned her thoughts from the immediate subject narrating the events of his first acquaintance with osborne and describing the man a poltron but kindly-hearted fearful of his own skin to a contemptible extent but looking up with awe to his superiors and easily led by one richer and of a higher station to any line of conduct an inborn slave but with many of a slave's good qualities falkner did not doubt that he would put himself eagerly forward on the present occasion and whatever his evidence were good for it would readily be produced there was no reason then for despair while the shock they had undergone took the sting from the present fearing an immediate and horrible catastrophe the wretchedness of their actual state was forgotten it acquired comfort and security by the contrast each tried to cheer the other and they separated for the night with apparent composure yet that night elizabeth's pillow despite her earnest endeavours to place reliance on providence was watered by the bitterest tears that ever such young eyes shed and falkner told each hour of the livelong night as his memory retraced past scenes and his spirit writhed and bled to feel that in wantonness and rebellion of youth he had been the author of so wide-spreading so dark a web of misery from this time their days were spent in that sort of monotony which has a peculiar charm to the children of adversity the recurrence of one day after the other none being marked by disaster or indeed any event imparted a satisfaction gloomy indeed and sad but grateful to the heart wearied by many blows and by the excitement of mortal hopes and fears the mind adapted itself to the new state of things and enjoyments sprung up in the very home of desolation circumstances that in happier days were but the regular routine of life grew into blessings from heaven and the thought come what will this hour is safe made precious the mere passage of time months were placed between them and the dreaded crisis and so are we made that when once this is an established acknowledged fact we can play on the eve of danger almost like the unconscious animal destined to bleed their time was regularly divided and occupations succeeded one to another elizabeth rented apartments not far from the prison she gave the early morning hours to exercise and the rest of the day was spent in falkner's prison he read to her as she worked at the tapestry frame or she took the book while he drew or sketched nor was music wanting such as suited the subdued tones of their minds and elevated it to reverence and resignation and sweet still hours were spent near their fire for their hearth gleamed cheerfully despite surrounding horrors gaiety was absent but neither was the voice of discontent heard all repinings were hidden in the recesses of their hearts their talk was calm abstracted from matters of daily life but gifted with the interest that talent can bestow on all it touches falkner exerted himself chiefly to vary their topics and to enliven them by the keenness of his observations the beauty of his descriptions and the vividness of his narrations he spoke of india they read various travels and compared the manners of different countries they forgot the bars that checkered the sunlight on the floor of the cell 
they forgot the cheerless gloom of each surrounding object did they also forget the bars and bolts between them and freedom the thoughtful tenderness which had become the habitual expression of elizabeth's face the subdued manner and calm tones of faulkner were a demonstration that they did not something they were conscious of at each minute that checked the free pulsations of their hearts a word in a book brought by some association home to her feelings would cause elizabeth's eyes to fill with unbidden tears and proud scorn would now and then dilate the breast of faulkner as he read some story of oppression and felt i also am persecuted and must endure in this position they each grew unutterably dear to the other every moment every thought was full to both of the image of either there is something inexpressibly winning in beauty and grace it is a sweet blessing when our household companion charms our senses by the loveliness of her person and makes the eye gladly turn to her to be gratified by such a form and look as we would travel miles to see depicted on canvas it soothed many a spasm of pain and turned many an hour of suffering into placid content when faulkner watched the movements of his youthful friend you might look in her face for days and still read something new something sublime in the holy calm of her brow in her serious yet intelligent eyes while all a woman's softness dwelt in the moulding of her cheeks and her dimpled mouth each word she said and all she did so became her that it appeared the best thing to be said and done and was accompanied by a fascination both for eye and heart which emanated from her purity and truth faulkner grew to worship the very thought of her she had not the wild spirits and trembling sensibility of her he had destroyed but in her kind she was no way inferior yet though each as it were enjoyed the respite given by fortune to their worst fears yet this very sense of transitory security was in its essence morbid and unnatural a fever preyed nightly on faulkner and there were ghastly streaks upon his brow that bespoke internal suffering and decay elizabeth grew paler and thinner her step lost its elasticity her voice became low-toned her eyes were acquainted with frequent tears and the lids grew heavy and dark both lived forever in the presence of misery they feared to move or speak lest they should awaken the monster then for a space torpid but they spent their days under its shadow the air they drew was chilled by its icy influence no wholesome light-hearted mood of mind was ever theirs they might pray and resign themselves they might congratulate themselves on the safety of the passing moment but each sand that flowed from the hourglass was weighed each thought that passed through the brain was examined every word uttered was pondered over they were exhausted by the very vividness of their unsleeping endeavors to blunt their sensations the hours were very sad that they spent apart the door closed on elizabeth and love and hope and all the pride of life vanished with her faulkner was again a prisoner an accused felon a man over whom impended the most hideous fate whom the dogs of law barked round and looked on as their prey his high heart often quailed he laid his head on his pillow desiring never again to raise it despair kept his lids open on the live-long nights while naught but palpable darkness brooded over his eyeballs he rose languid dispirited revolving thoughts of death till at last she came who by degrees dispelled the gloom and shed over his benighted soul the rays of her pure spirit she also was miserable in solitude the silent evening hours spent apart from him were melancholy and drear nothing interrupted their stillness she felt deserted by every human being and was indeed reduced to the extremity of loneliness in the town and neighborhood many pitied many admired her 
and some offered their services but none visited or tried to cheer the solitary hours of the devoted daughter as the child of a man accused of murder there was a barrier between her and the world the english are generous to their friends but they are never kind to strangers the tie of brotherhood which christ taught as uniting all mankind is unacknowledged by them they so fear that their sullen fireside should be unduly invaded and so expect to be ill-treated that each man makes a martello tower of his home and keeps watch against the gentler charities of life as from an invading enemy hour after hour therefore elizabeth spent thought her only companion from faulkner and his miserable fortunes sometimes her reflections strayed to gerard neville the generous friend on whom she wholly relied yet who could in no way aid or comfort her they were divided he thought of her she knew his constant and ardent disposition would cause her to be forever the cherished object of his reveries and now and then as she took her morning ride or looked from her casement at night upon the high stars and pale still moon nature spoke to her audibly of him and her soul overflowed with tenderness still he was far no word from him reached her no token of living remembrance lady cecil also she neither wrote nor sent the sense of abandonment is hard to bear and many bitter tears did the young sufferer shed and many a yearning had she to enter with her ill-starred father the silent abode of the tomb scarcely more still or dark than the portion of life which was allotted to them even while existence was warm in their hearts and the natural impulse of their souls was to seek sympathy and receive consolation end of chapter forty two recording by beth blakely